Amen. You may be seated. Let's take God's word together this morning and return to that New Testament passage in Luke, if you would, Luke chapter 11. And I want to look together. We're continuing our thought on this doctrine of faith toward God. And I was talking with some of the young people uh, yesterday, and we were thinking about all the passages in the gospel records alone that deal with Jesus Christ speaking to people about faith. And uh, oftentimes we read these passages, overlook them, and sometimes we kind of imagine that maybe what Jesus said was true for then, but it's not really so true for us today. And that's sometimes the temptation we have. In fact, even sometimes people go as far as to say, well, that was a particular part in church history and era, and uh, we no longer see those things today because those days are over. And I, I think it's dangerous to talk like that because uh, we don't really know when God changes the page of his calendar. And uh, we might be able to make some observations with our eyes and with our understanding. But unless he says it himself, I would be very hesitant of making such statements. And sometimes we make those mistakes. But I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning by this subject of faith. In fact, look at one phrase found in verse 22 of Mark 11. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Four simple words. We get our title and our message in those four very simple words of Jesus. Have faith in God. I love this passage. The prospect of what could be done by God's people who simply have faith in Him. Think with me for a moment. What could be done if we simply trusted God? What amazing potential. What power. He says that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now there are some ministries and some doctrines that have been built entirely on some of these statements to the exclusion of other statements, which is very dangerous. But nonetheless, others have excluded this for the sake of being afraid of sounding like we're a name it and claim it kind of prosperity people. But Jesus said this nonetheless. And you cannot erase it simply because it doesn't quite fit with some of our theological ideas. These are the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And therefore, there's a purpose for those words for us today. No, I'm tempted when I read that to say, is this still true today? Is it still true that he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, we've all seen how people have abused this passage and talked about name it and claim it. I want a Mercedes. I'll have it. We've heard people do that kind of nonsense, and that's not what Jesus is saying. We'll look together at this text and see it. But let's ask, is it still true today? And if it is, if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if his word changes not, then what's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? Now, the problem with many of us today is not a new problem. 
In fact, it's the same problem that Jesus was dealing with in this very chapter. It's the same problem that the nation of Israel faced then and the same problem that the church of Jesus Christ faces now and has faced since then as well. Matthew chapter 17, look at it with me, please. Hold your finger there. But in Matthew 17, we read some of those verses with the children a moment ago. But Jesus says something very interesting. If you remember, he comes down off of the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And when he comes down off of the mountain, he, he has been glowing in the presence of God. Moses and Elijah were there. If you remember, he took Peter, James, and John with him. And Peter says, let's build three houses. It's good for us to be here. And I get that way sometimes. I'd rather live up on top of the mountain, wouldn't you? I'd love to live up there in the presence of God and the glory of Jesus Christ where all the problems are far below. I want to live there, but that's just not possible. Reality is we've got to come down every once in a while back down in the valley. And when they come down immediately, they're met with a problem. The disciples, the rest of the disciples have been down there trying to deal with the problem and they've been failing. The problem was a demon-possessed boy. And they've been praying and commanding and speaking and nothing was happening. If you remember, our, we'll pick up our reading here in verse number 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. Now look here for a moment. I wonder how many times have people come to us looking for help. We just haven't been able to give it to them. And Jesus answered and said, what did Jesus say? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Now he's talking to the disciples. He's not talking to the lost people. He's talking to the ones who could not deal with the problem. And I wonder how many problems are we facing around the world today, and we just have no answer for them because we are no different than the disciples were then, a faithless and a perverse generation. Now, that word perverse means to distort or to oppose, literally to work against the saving purpose and plans of God. Now, your faithlessness opposes the saving purposes and plans of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your bad doctrine, because of your unbelief, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you don't even need that much. You shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And some wise commentator made the observation that this kind that Jesus was referring to was not the demon or the devil, but was actually referring to unbelief. This kind of unbelief does not come out of you except by prayer and fasting because the one thing that hindered you from being able to do what you should have been able to do was faithlessness and unbelief. And that's where we find ourselves today. 
Mark chapter 9, verse 19, the same account is given. O faithless generation. Luke 9, 41, again, O faithless and perverse generation. John 20, verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and hold and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Our faithlessness, our unbelief is in direct opposition to the purposes of God, to the work and plan of God. And faithlessness and unbelief always leads to the problem we find in our text. Go back to Mark chapter 11. Very interesting. I love the way Jesus talked and the way that he moved and the way that he worked. Everything was an example. Everything was an illustration. Not just his words, but even the physical things around him. And as he was walking in verse number 12, Jesus was about to perform a miracle, but also to teach the disciples a very important lesson, a lesson that we've got to learn ourselves. Look at it, verse number 12. And on the morrow when they were come, Mark 11, verse 12, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. That's Jesus. We see a lovely picture of the humanity of Christ. And seeing, watch this, seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came. If happily, he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit on thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now most people separate verse 12 to 14 from verses 15 down to verse 19, but they are one of the same. Because what happens with the fig tree is exactly what's happening when Jesus walks into the temple in the next verse. In the very next verse, they come to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And here's the lesson that Jesus is teaching, a lesson that leads in to what we find in verse number 22, have faith in God. Here's the problem. The nation of Israel had no faith in God. They were like that fig tree. Now look here for one moment. Because I believe that the majority of Christianity in the world today is no different than Israel was then. And no different than that fig tree. Because a faithless, unbelieving Christianity always leads to having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It always leads to being a fig tree with leaves and no fruit. That was the problem. Israel was a fig tree that looked like, in fact, Jesus was hungry. And he went to the fig tree because that fig tree gave every impression that it had fruit. It gave every outward expression that it had something to offer. But when Christ got there, there was nothing, no fruit. And the majority of professing believers today give the outward impression that we have something to offer. We give the outward impression that we are those who follow Jesus. But when you get close enough, we find that actually we're no different than Israel. We're a fruitless people. A fig tree having leaves, just leaves, 
Would you look here for a moment? I wonder this morning, do you have anything more than leaves? Is your faith anything more than just leaves? Giving the impression that it was different. And by the way, it was different because apparently no other tree gave quite the impression that it was fruitful like that one or else Jesus would have gone to a different tree. But that tree gave the impression that it was different from other trees. It looked promising. It gave the impression that it had something to offer. And look here, so much of our Christianity today is impression only. Outward expression only. And even though we look different and talk different and act different, even act sophisticated and religious and all that we do, and outwardly we look different. But you get close enough, we find that we're like the fig tree, like Israel, having only leaves. When a hungry soul comes expecting to find fruit for their longing, instead they find just leaves. Think, look here for a moment. Are you a Christian are you a child of God? If someone lost in your neighborhood, if someone lost on your street were to come to you today because they know you go to church on Sunday and they know you carry a Bible and they know you call yourself a Christian, if they came to you today hungering, longing for salvation, would you have something to give them? Or do you only have leaves? Is this not the story of far too many churches today? Has it been our story? Is this not the story of far too many Christians today? Just leaves and no fruit, clouds without rain. And this, this is why we cannot move mountains. Because we have so little faith. Leaves without any fruit, J.C. Ryle says, represents every carnal, hypocritical, false-hearted believer. Leaves with no fruit represents every carnal, hypocritical, false-hearted believer, content to live with a name only, content to live with a form of godliness, whilst in reality they're like whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones. Think about it. Is that you today? What good is it if you wear the name badge only? You're just wearing leaves. What good was it when Adam and Eve put put leaves, they sewed together leaves to cover themselves up in the garden. Was that sufficient? Of course not. What good is leaves with no fruit? And this kind of Christianity, hear the warning we see in the passage, this kind of Christianity, if it's not dealt with, always leads to a curse. This kind of fruitless Christianity always leads to, Jesus says, no man shall eat fruit of thee from now on. Now, I don't know where you are in your Christian life this morning. I don't know where you are. I don't know. Maybe you've been going through a season of fruitlessness. I've been there before. You remember the parable Jesus gave of the, of the, of the, of the, the man, the, the vine dresser who planted a fig tree in his vineyard and three years he came looking for fruit and there was no fruit? I don't know how many years or how long you have been fruitless, but if there's no fruit in your life today, let that alarm you, let it bother you so that you might stir yourself up to say, am I only a form? Do I have only a form of godliness? Is that why my prayers are not answered? Is that why I'm so powerless against the forces of evil today? Why? Why? Now, what's the solution? That's what I'm interested in. We can talk 
There have been how many books written about the problem? And how many sermons preached about the problem? I want to know what's the solution? What's the answer? Well, Jesus gives it to us. They came out of Jerusalem, and the Bible says in verse 20, in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots, and Peter calling to remembrance, he remembered what happened, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. How quickly it happened. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. What is the answer? To our faithlessness? To our hypocrisy? To our fruitlessness? What is the answer? Have faith in God. Now here's the first important thing to see. It's the object of our faith that is most important. Because Jesus did not just simply say, come on now, have faith. He didn't just say, come on now, just have a bit more faith. We hear that a lot, don't we? Come on now, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, have a little more faith. And by the way, everybody in the whole wide world has some measure of faith. And everyone understands the need of faith. We were in the open air yesterday uh, preaching and speaking with people down Corn Market Street in the city center and got into a good and engaging conversation with Big John. He was out again yesterday, first time in months. And a large crowd came to join us. And do you know, even Big John had to admit that in his atheistic views, he has to have faith. Everybody has to have faith. Every human being, it requires a measure of faith to some degree to live in this world. Because without faith, let's be honest, students, university students, you'd never go to university to study to be a biologist or a musician or whatever it may be unless you had faith that you could do it. Without faith, you wouldn't join a football team unless you believed that you had something to offer and that you could help them win. Nobody joins a football team to lose, right? Without faith, you would not have, you would not, you think about all the, 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 the great conquests of time, Cortez conquering Mexico, Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue and discovering the Americas. None of that would happen without some measure of faith. But that's just natural faith. That's just natural faith, faith in the natural. And by the way, this natural faith is where most of us stop when it comes to faith. Most of us who call ourselves Christians are no different in our faith than a lost person is. We, the only difference is we, we say things, we speak it differently. But at the end of the day, we're no different. We're no different. We try things like somebody else tries things, like some great scientist tries things or some great explorer tries things or some great inventor. We're no different. We're going to roll up our sleeves and do some mission in the Netherlands and roll up our sleeves and go to Zimbabwe and conquer the world because we have faith. And if we're not careful, our faith is just as natural as the next man's faith is. We believe in what we can do. And that's where we fail. So we plan, we organize, we strategize, we conquer. And at the end of the day, it's Jesus looks at us and says, faithless generation. We're no different. Verse number 15, after Jesus curses the fig tree that had leaves but no fruit, he walks in to Jerusalem, comes into the temple. The Bible says in verse 15, and he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. 
and would not suffer, would not let any man carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught them saying, is it not written that my house shall be called of all nations the house of what? The house of what? Prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. My house should be a house of faith because you're talking to God. But instead, our faith is so natural. So what we've done is we just do what we can do. We sell birds and four-footed beasts and we, we make a bit of profit here because we don't really trust God. We don't really talk to God. We do what we can do. We put little things at the back. Take that. Take this. Sign up for this. Sign up for that. All we can do. I don't doubt if Jesus walked into our church and many other churches today, he'd do the very same thing he did then because we're no different. Or maybe our choice of words is different. But if our faith is not faith in God, if it isn't in God, then all of our planning and organizing will only accomplish what hands, human hands can accomplish. And I don't know about you, but I want more than just what my hands can accomplish. I don't want to build simply something that can, can be built by hands and then torn down by somebody else's hands. This is why we're so fruitless and powerless because our faith is limited by what we can do. So Jesus says, have faith in God. Now that's very hard. It's easy to say it. Have faith in God. Have faith. Have faith in God. We say to everybody, come on now, you just need more faith. Have faith in God. And people say, but how? Maybe you felt the same thing. I can have faith in, in us because I've seen what we can do. But what about having faith in someone that we can't see? How does that happen? Go to Matthew chapter 8 just briefly, please. And Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 5. Listen to the words that are found here. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. I love this story. This is one of the stories that one of the students mentioned yesterday. And saying, Lord, Matthew chapter 8, verse number 6, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Now watch this. Here's what faith in God looks like. Faith in God looks like this. It, 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 faith in God begins when you come to the end of what you can do. When you come to the end, of, now here's what this man, this man had a problem that he tried to fix and he couldn't fix. How many of you have ever had a problem that you just couldn't fix yourself? Anybody? Yes. Well, that's where this man, that's where he was. He came to the end of himself. He couldn't do anything. He tried. He did everything he possibly could do. By the way, that's not a bad thing. We ought to employ every resource and every energy and every strength that we have to do and to face the battles that are in front of us. But when we come to the end of ourselves and there's nowhere else to go, then faith in God is possible. So he comes. Lord, I've got a problem. My servant is sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, no problem. I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered, watch this. The centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. 
And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And a servant was healed in that selfsame hour. Now, this is what faith in God looks like. Coming to the end of what you can do, then going to God is, well, how do I go to God? Prayer. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, my house shall be called a house of prayer amongst all nations. We come to God through prayer. The, the author of Hebrews says, he that cometh to me must believe that he is. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How do you come to God? By diligently seeking him. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Number one, he must believe that God is who he says he is and God's able to do something that I can't do and also that God will reward me if I seek him diligently. So faith is understanding that you can't do it and then believing that God can do it and going to God for it and believing that God doesn't need you to do it. Just say the word. Now that's faith. We mix it up sometimes. We say, you know what, God, if you just give me the power, I can do it. God, if you just give me this, I can do it. And we still aren't willing to let go of us. We still aren't willing to let go. Of, and that man said, look, I, I, don't need, I don't need to be there. I don't even need you to be there. I just need you to say the word. Now that's faith. A removal of self. Because he'd already figured out what self couldn't do. What self couldn't do. He already figured out what flesh couldn't do. Jesus didn't need to be there in the flesh because he understood what flesh could not do. But he believed in what the power of Almighty God could do. Now, go back to our text in Mark 11. Have faith in God. What's the solution to our faithlessness, our fruitlessness? It's the object of our faith, which is God. And he says in verse 23, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Our faith has got to be pure. Our faith has to be pure. Now, how do we get rid of doubt? Because let's be honest, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say, okay, uh, have faith and don't doubt. That's like telling somebody who's been smoking cigarettes for 40 years, just stop smoking. How? Stop doubting. I meet people all the time who doubt their salvation, they lack assurance, and they really doubt. And you can tell them all you want to, stop doubting, just believe. And those are just words. So how do we get, how do we get rid of doubt in our faith increase. Well, we understand that if he had more faith, we'd have less doubt. And what about Romans chapter 10? This is a verse we all, all oftentimes like to quote, but I think we misunderstand. In Romans chapter 10, people say, yes, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. How many times have we quoted that? They, like, that's the pill, 
We give that to people who are doubting all the time and say, look, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you just read the word more and listen to the word more, that'll solve all your problems. Here's, here's it. Take five tablets of this and you'll be fine. Wrong. Now, yes, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God, but you can just hear words and never make a difference. I can stand here and read from Genesis to Revelation until I read every word of the Bible and you sit there, be bored out of your mind and not get one thing out of it. And yet you've heard the word, but your faith has not been increased. Why? Because we're not talking about physical hearing. We're not talking about seeing with your physical eyes and hearing with your physical ears. We're talking about hearing with your soul, with your spirit. And Paul says this, by the way, look at Galatians chapter uh, 3, I believe it is. Galatians 3 and verse number 5. That's right. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Because there is a spiritual hearing that needs to be heard, that needs to be accomplished and worked in us. It isn't enough. Look, how many times have we got up in the morning and read two or three chapters of the scripture, closed our Bibles, went out of the door of our house and forgot what we ever read? Because we have eyes to see. We have eyes, but we don't see. And ears, but we don't hear. And what we're trying to do is apply natural principles to spiritual truth. It can't be done. We need God to open the ears of our spirit and eyes of the understanding so that we won't just see words but see the life-giving words that we might hear not just words from the mouth of a preacher or not words from the mouth of Alexander Scorby who reads it to us on YouTube, but instead we hear the words of God. Amen. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Not just my words, but my, my voice. What did Jesus say to the seven churches of Revelation? Each church, he gives a letter to them. And at the end of the, each letter, he says the very same thing. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, Spirit saith to the churches. Well, most of us have two ears, unless we've been involved in some accident. Most of us have two ears today. And just because you have two ears doesn't mean you hear. In fact, some of you will walk out of the flap of this tent and have heard and received nothing, even today. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And if it's the Spirit speaking, then it's our spirit that needs to hear. It's spiritual matters, not simply words. Can you hear? I heard somebody say before I've spoken to people and said, have you, have you spoken to God? Have you talked to God? And I've heard so many people say, but God doesn't answer. Have you heard that before? Maybe you've been tempted to think that. I've prayed and I've asked God and he doesn't answer. I was reading a book here and illustration was given of a hospital visit and a minister went in. Uh, this man's father used to go in every 30 years, would go into the hospital in the infirmary ward every, every Sunday afternoon for 30 years straight and pray with those who are sick. And on one of his visits, he said to the man, have you, have you spoken to God? He said, I've been praying and God doesn't hear me. And the man stopped and thought for a moment. And he said, do you think if the king of England walked into the room today, into your hospital room, and you said to him, king, would you give me 20 pounds? Do you think the king would give it to you? And he said, probably not. I said, okay, but if the king's son asked him, if the king's son asked his father, father, would you give me 20 pounds? Do you think the king would give his son 20 pounds? Oh, definitely. Why? Because relationship makes all the difference in the world. 
Relationship makes all the difference in the world. And if the only relationship you have with God is when you need something, you ask him, then you don't have a relationship. Some people act like they've got a good relationship with a man behind the till at the bank, but you don't. You only go to him when you need your money. That's not a good relationship. And some people treat God the same way. They only go to God when they need something. That's not a relationship. The better your relationship is, the tighter, the closer your walk with God is, the more intimate you are with God in prayer, then the more you hear and see Him answering prayers. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because your heart's not divided. This part, this little fraction of my heart given to God and the rest of my heart given to the world or given to my family or given to my work. No, when you give all of your heart to God, they that seek after me with all their heart shall find me. So very few of us know what that is. And therefore, so very few of us hear any answers to prayer. Because relationship matters. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 11, shall not doubt in his heart. Do you know, the closer you walk with God, the less doubt there is. The less doubt there is. The more intimate you are with God, the less intimidated you are by man. Are you walking closely by his side? By the way, if he was, if you could see him stood next to you, if you could see almighty God stood next to you, would you be afraid of anything? Of course not. If almighty God stood by my side today, I wouldn't care if I didn't have a penny to my name. I wouldn't care if you gave me any sort of health diagnosis today. I don't care what news you gave me. If Almighty God stood by my side, I don't care if all the armies of the world stood with a machine gun pointed at me. I wouldn't fear anything if I could see Almighty God standing there. But He is there. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? But we so often forget these things because we're not walking near to Him. That's why we doubt. But shall believe that those things, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. There's something interesting also to keep in mind, to bear in mind. If we walk closely to God, then we'll know that the petitions that we ask of are pleasing to him. James says, look, you have not because you ask not. And then he also says, sometimes you ask amiss. It's like you've taken a bow and arrow and you're in the... And the bullseye's over here, and you're shooting way over here. And you're wondering, why. hold on, how come I'm not hitting the bullseye? Because you're asking for the wrong things. That's where you should be. But you don't know that if you're not walking close with God. Prayer is less about you trying to get God to do what you want Him to do, and more about you getting in line with God. That's the purpose of prayer. We think sometimes that God is like a genie in a bottle, and we can rub the bottle, and He's going to give us anything we want. But the more you walk with God and speak with God and are intimate with God, the more you begin to see yourself being lined up with God, and then your prayers become the desires of His heart, and you see mighty miracles happen when we're lined up with Him. Because He's going to then move you to pray and seek things that He wants to have happen. I'm afraid that far too many of us, we're not even this far off the mark. We're, We're in the total opposite direction. Therefore, I say unto you that what things soever ye desire, when ye pray. Prayer is at the heart of all of this. My house shall be called an, a house of prayer amongst all nations. When ye pray, verse number 24, believe that ye receive them. 
and ye shall have them. Now, one of the most amazing truths found in Scripture has been so distorted and taken out of context and hijacked by other people that we're afraid to even look at it. But there's something very important here in this text. There's something that's very important about walking near to God, drawing near to Him, that His house becomes a house of prayer, that our walk with Him becomes an intimate walk with Him, a trusting walk with Him. We have faith in Him, not in what He can do and not in what we can get, but faith in the person of God. And when that happens, our requests and our petitions change, and then we have a confidence and assurance that we have already received them. Sometimes I pray for things and I think, I'm praying for something that God's already given me. You ever thought that before? I, I don't mean like a Lamborghini. I'm talking about the fullness of his spirit. Do you know that when the spirit of the living God moves inside of you, you have all of him that you'll ever have? The problem isn't that he's not there. The problem is we don't recognize he's there. And sometimes... But when we are drawing nearer and nearer to him, our prayers become more and more accurate. And then we have an understanding. We have them. We have them. Ye shall receive. Believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, last thought, there is a prerequisite to all of this. And sometimes I feel that the reason we are faithless is because we pray, pray, pray. We're shooting arrows all over the place in every place but the right place. And none of those arrows are landing and sticking and none of our prayers are being answered. And then we lose confidence and we have no faith. And what little faith we thought we had was never actually in God. Our faith was in ourselves. And because we couldn't accomplish it, we've given up. And part of the problem is, is because we have wiped out these two verses. When you stand praying, forgive. If you have alt against any. Meaning, there ought to be nothing between my soul and the Savior when I pray. How can we expect God to answer our prayers whilst we're holding something, some grudge, some bitterness, some anger, some unforgiveness against somebody else? We want God to give us something, but we're not willing to give the very least. And we keep praying. And why is God not answering my prayer? And God's saying, why won't you just forgive? We said, come on, God, why aren't you hearing me? You're not even listening to me anymore. And God said, you're not listening to me. I've told you to forgive. You've got anything against your brother, any anger, any bitterness. You need to deal with it. Don't bother asking God for anything. Hear me clearly. Don't bother asking God for anything except it be strength to forgive. You can't harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart and expect God to hear your prayers. Is there anything, look here for a moment. Is there anything right now between you and any other human on this planet? If there is, get it right with God and with that person. Do everything in your power to forgive them. Do everything in your power to be right with God and right with that person. Now, there may be some people who aren't even here and you say they live on the other side of the planet. How am I going to do that? Get right with God. Get it right with God. Do what you can. You can't do anything else than that. But you can't expect God to hear your prayer if you're not willing to make things right. And when you stand praying, same context, forgive. If you have ought anything against anyone, 
that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And all you can forget about the mountain, he says. Most of us, we ain't even thinking about a mountain because we can't get over these last two verses. We can't even think about moving mountains. We can't even think about advancing the kingdom of God because we can't get over the last two verses. And maybe that's where you are this morning. If it is, then go home, get on your knees and say, God, forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to forgive this person, God. Set me free from unforgiveness. Set me free from bitterness. Set me free from hatred. And in being set free from that, you're now free to have faith in God. And free to move mountains. Big mountains. Who knows what God could do? Who knows? If we just had faith in God. Do you this morning? I don't know how he's dealt with you or spoken to you. Maybe you're here today and you aren't even a Christian yet. You've never been born again. And those words are for you. Have faith in God. Have faith in the one who sent his son to die for you. Have faith in his words. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have faith in God. Many people say, well, I don't know if that's for me. And it's, it's not because you're doubting yourself, but you're doubting the one who wrote the words. Well, that's a harsh reality. But he said it. And he can be trusted. Have faith in God. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we confess that we have wasted so much time trusting in ourselves. We've been no different than Israel was when Christ walked through Jerusalem that day, planning, strategizing, and organizing, and accomplishing so much with our hands, so much that will be burnt up on that day, wood, hay, and stubble. But Lord, it is our desire this morning to be right with thee, to have faith in thee. And if we are to have faith in thee, Father, help us not just to read words, but hear them. Give us ears to hear, Lord, eyes to see. And if there is something in our heart, something between us and a brother or a sister or anyone, as Jesus said, help us to forgive them, Lord. Help us to forgive them, to give them to thee to give our hurt and our pain and however however wrong we have been, however wrong they have been to us, help us to give it to Thee, Lord. May we hear the words that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake forgave us. And I pray then we would gaze toward Thee, draw near to Thee, that our relationship with Thee, that our faith would be in Thee and not in ourselves. And we would seek Thee and in drawing near to Thee, Lord, increase our faith and decrease our doubt. And we pray, Lord, that very soon we may be those who are calling upon mountains to be moved for Thy honor and Thy glory. May our requests become Thy requests. 
May our heart's desire become a reflection of thy heart's desire. And may it be reflected in the way that we pray and thus in the way that our prayers are answered. Work amongst us, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray and ask these things. Amen.